Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. We know we have a federal budget coming up. In a matter of days, on the 19th, what should it contain and what should it not contain? The CEO of RBC has urged the federal government to not spend uh, massively as far as a stimulus is concerned for the economy, uh, suggesting that could lead to inflationary issues. And uh, yet we have the uh, liberal delegates talking about the uh, possibility of a universal income. Just looking through some of my notes here. Also, um, the idea of forgiving student debt and uh, increased old age security. And, oh yeah, this one, taxing the wealthy, that's always a good one. National Pharmacare and Economic Equality, whatever that means. And the Green New Deal, which I thought was an American concept anyway. We are joined by our good friend and the often requested Dr. Eric Cam, macroeconomics professor at Ryerson University, as I like to say about the professor. He calls it like he sees it. He doesn't temper his views with any politically correct approach. How do you get away with that? Um, that's an excellent question. I guess I watch my P's and Q's. And, you know, as much as I th- say things like that, um, I know what I can and can't say publicly about my employer. So, um, I, you know, I, I like to sound a little bit more cavalier than I actually am. Uh, but at the end of the day, much like everybody, I, I, I love being able to feed my children. So I, you know, it, it, it's a tempered, um, it's a tempered temper. Temper, temper. I like that very much. Yeah. Okay. So we have the, what, what is your feeling? What are your thoughts? What are your economic thoughts and your, what is your economic evaluation, macroeconomic evaluation of the idea of a universal basic income for Canadians, given what you just heard the parliamentary budget officer say? You know, when I woke up this morning, Roy, I only had one concern, and that was I was going to get my vaccine. And a huge shout out to the people at Humber River Hospital. Um, there's been nothing but positives come out of that experience. And I was worried about uh, how it would make me feel because I've heard a couple people say it made them uncomfortable. No, I felt fine until I got back in the car and turned on the radio. And I heard that the federal government is going to do everything they can to put the economy into an early grave. That has bothered me far more than any medicine put into my muscles. I don't understand. And I guess it's time that we rephrase the question. And I also have to come out of the closet since I like to do that on your show. I am not now, nor have I ever been an advocate of socialization. And this government, I don't understand where it's coming from. I never have, I never will, and I don't trust it. So let's just rephrase your question. Right. Let's just ask the good listenership to rephrase it. So let's not say, are you in favor of pharmacare and are you in favor of a universal basic income? Let's just turn it around. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, are you excited about higher taxes and lower disposable income? Does it make you more excited to know that these things are nothing more than political overtures to get your vote and have three to five more years of this federal government? Roy, we can go into this. We can take it apart on a micro level, a macro level. But how 
on God's name in a pandemic, this this government seems obsessed with lowering disposable income is beyond me. Any government, and this one particularly, since they went from a majority to a minority, want to get back to majority, is uh, is absolutely obsessed with the idea of being reelected, and they will do anything that they, and you know, they're not the only ones, but they're the ones who are in power now. They're behaving like a majority government because the opposition lets them do that. But they want to get back in power. And you're right. These programs, these whole ideas, this idea is to get yourself a majority government. And and that's why we have uh, we have the finance minister talking about, in vague terms, as you know, Professor Cam, in vague terms, about stimulating the economy to the tune of $70 to $100 billion over the next three years. But again, in vague terms, not telling us what that money, where that money would go. Uh, that's because says me, the long-term election analyst and observer, because they're going to decide where it goes depending on which way the wind blows during the election campaign. That's where it will go. Meantime, we have the CEO of RBC, the Royal Bank, Dave McKay, telling the federal government, do not overspend on stimulating the economy because it's not necessary and you'll drive us into an inflationary cycle. Your and turn. you want to know how you know that he's right is that the um, the labor force statistics came out on Friday from Statistics Canada. And I was uh, reading them the other day. And, you know, I have to say that the economy is more elastic and more resilient than people think. Don't get me wrong. We're in a spiral and we can't lie about that. But, you know, if you look at the statistics on employment, on unemployment, on any of the key macro variables. They're bad, but they are not as bad as they actually could be. I mean, there really is some, minimal, but some cause for positive feeling that things haven't exactly hit rock bottom. And I really think that that speaks to the elasticity and the resilience of the Canadian economy. And I'm actually quite proud of it. Um, if, if you can be proud of a, of, a, of a thing that doesn't live and breathe, although I would argue it does. But the largest driver of this economy, the largest driver of any economy, Roy, is, is, is spending, consumer spending. And the largest driver of consumer spending is disposable income. Right. And that's right. nothing more. I know where that is going. nothing more than the money in your wallet. Yep. And so, you know, what do you have to do to stimulate an economy? Well, you either have to have more, you either have to give people higher real incomes or you have to decrease taxes. But what is this government going to do right now? It's going to come in and say, you know what we're going to do? Forget that. Forget the sheer definition of disposable income. We're just going to we're just going to tuck that under the mattress. And we're going to talk about pharmacare and daycare and every other care. And it's all the same thing. It is broadening the social safety net. It is just a tax. And politically and economically, I can't even imagine a worse time to throw cold water on the economy. People have to think, have to realize, have to recognize that governments do not have money. Governments take money. They take money from their tax base, and then if, they're, if they do it properly, and it's very seldom done, it appears, particularly these days, then you have a, a working society, and you have a working economy, and you have a balance sheet that you can actually live with. Now, I know a lot of people are going to be saying, well, hold on. The headline green is that the Canadian economy added 300,000 jobs in the month of March, and that the unemployment rate dropped to 7.5%. I'm going to say to you this, fine. Yeah, good enough. Great news. Love to hear it. Check with me back in April after the lockdowns. 
Well, that's what I that's exactly my point. I mean, you, you said it better than me, as you usually do, which is the elasticity of this of this economy is kind of like fighting. It's 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 like fighting to come back. And whatever the liberal government, they just wake up in the morning. They must have a caucus meeting on Zoom and say, what can we do to deflate this thing today? Following the lockdown, they should be bending over backwards to motivate and create spending on Canadian yeah. goods and services. Yep. You cannot just count on the wealthy, that 1%, to spend us out of a recession. It's not going to happen. And it and what really offends me as an economist, you really got me mad here, Roy. What really offends me as an economist is that everything we know about economies, things like marginal propensities to consume, how much of disposable income do we spend, or the money multiplier, how many times does one dollar spent in the economy reverberate? And these are the things that create growth and wealth. And again, all the liberal government are, is doing are coming up with tactics to make these things smaller and smaller. We live in a world which is developing into this line of thinking, government good, employer bad. That is a very dangerous thought process to engage in. We also live in a world or in a country, Professor Cam, where the opposition parties are doing a terrible job of convincing Canadians of their point of view because the opposition parties, and particularly the Conservative Party of Canada, is searching for a reason to exist, and they're not doing a great job of it. And I know Mr. O'Toole is going to be mad as hell that I'm saying that, but that's the way it is. And if you want to challenge that, Mr. O'Toole, get back on this program and give me more than 10 minutes. Well, you know, we live in, you know, philosophically for a second, uh, if I may wax poetic, we live wax in a away. time ever since the United States housing market fell apart. We really do live in a time of sort of unprecedented attacks on capitalism. And it really pains me when I hear young people and older people alike yeah. looking at the present situation and bemoaning, you see, this is what capitalism does. If you leave things to the market, you get what you get. And I would argue exactly the opposite. This is what you get when you don't allow capitalism the legs that it needs to run. When you cut it off at the knees and you expect the public sector to do everything for you, this is exactly what you get. Because the public sector giving away money is not, will never be, has never been economic growth. Professor Cam, I have to take a break here, but let's remember one other thing. That in the paradise of socialism, they had to build walls to keep their people in. That's what they had um, to do. Amen. That's what they had to do. And that is not the formula for success. That is a formula for something else. It's called oppression. Email from Bob. Bob writes, you have lived a privileged life. That's why you speak the way you do. Well, I don't want to belabor a point, Bob, because you may be a rookie into tuning into this program. But I lived homeless at 14 years of age. I knocked on restaurant doors late at night at 14 years of age, asking if they had any food left over so my mother and I could eat dinner late at night. My teacher sent me out of the classroom on a phony errand so he could ask my classmates to bring in canned food so my mother and I would have something to eat on Christmas Day. So no, I haven't lived a privileged life. I've worked damn hard for everything I've ever gotten in life. Sorry, Eric. You know, this is infuriating. And so since you've got me already angry, I might as well get really angry. 
I hear this a lot about entitlement and entitlement and privilege. And, you know, maybe in everybody's life, a little bit of luck is involved. But let me tell you, you show me luck and I will show you miles and miles of hard work. So when I talk to people and they inevitably do bounce back and say to me, well, how can you relate? You have a PhD and you're a tenured professor. And I am very quick to bounce back and say, nobody, nobody worked harder at not one, but two jobs than my father, my grandfather who carried potatoes on his back. And then if you really want to insult my work ethic, you may want to forget that in the 11 years that I studied, that cost me a marriage. It cost me the respect of my grandparents, which is a whole other radio show. All I did for 11 years was study. And so if you want to then convert that or what you went through into entitled, well, you can give it that. But I actually think if you show me a lucky person, a successful person, I will show you somebody who worked there, you know what off. And if you, to the good listener who wrote that email, if you don't believe that, then what you're saying is, is that that great American or Canadian dream is dead and that you cannot pull yourself up by the bootstraps and make something of your life. And frankly, I think that's garbage. Yeah, I'm with you. So in the two minutes we have left, what do we need to do? What does the government need to do? And what is the responsibility of the opposition parties to get the Canadian economy on track, keep it on track, and create the kind of environment where people feel good about what they're doing and positive about their futures? I think, first of all, I mean, I like this positivity. You know, I mean, as much as you and I have been kind of a little bit down today, you know, let's, let's, let's just put the brakes on this ideological job hierarchy. There are no better or worse jobs in the economy. There's jobs and people need their jobs. It is an honor to be hired. It is an honor to make a living and receive a paycheck. And so what we've got to do is facilitate that. And remember, remember that we are living in a strange time, but this is not the norm. And CERB and, and quantitative easing and giving away money is not a plan. It's an emergency. It's a reaction. We've got to, on the behalf of the government and the opposition parties, have to reinforce this. What is your plan to get people back into those jobs? Are you going to freeze public sector spending? How are you going to motivate job creation? How are you going to increase disposable inc uh, income and get off monetary transfers that we know do not facilitate growth? And again, to people that are going to write me or Twitter me and say that they're not happy with what I'm about to say, I apologize. But if you think that now is the time to initiate carbon taxes and national child care and pharmacare, you're absolutely living in fantasy land. What do you think is going to happen? What do you expect in that budget on April the 19th? And what's the one thing that can't, we cannot have there? The one thing we cannot have there are giveaways. And that is the one thing you can rest assured you are going to get because it is horrible timing. It is a pandemic slash pre-election government. Everything I have just said for the last 20 minutes is going to come crashing down when they offer the moon and the stars with no way to pay for it. And it's inevitable. And I need the leaders of the other two parties to hold the liberals feet to the fire and say, how on God's green earth are you going to pay for this? Yeah, well, the liberals want to get NDP voters and get themselves the uh, the seat margin. I don't want to be too tough. Well, I do, but I don't want to be too tough 
on Aaron O'Toole. He's come on this program. I just think he needs to give us more than 10 minutes because Mr. Trudeau won't even give us 10 seconds, and we know why that is. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.